Welcome to the Empathetic Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have James Lerner from Olympic. James, it's really nice to have you on. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, Brad. I'm really excited. James, tell me a bit about yourself, about your company, and what you're up to. For sure. So I have a very storied background, which is, I guess, a good thing and a bad thing. I originally started out as a mechanical engineer. So I went to school for mechanical engineering. I wanted to work on gas turbine engines and power plants and all that fun stuff. Things don't always work out like we planned. I did a career move, career change, and somehow got myself involved in search engine marketing. That was my very first job out of college. I worked for a company called Resolution Media, which was at the time was independent, but then bought by Omnicom Media Group. So I was working for one of the very first dedicated search engine marketing agencies. That was our specialty. We didn't do anything else except for search engine marketing. Worked there for a year and some change, bounced around a couple different agencies, was given a lot of responsibility very early on in my career. They said, oh, you know how to do search engine marketing, then you must know how to do affiliate display programmatic. So somehow they gave me that responsibility. I learned very quickly how to manage those channels. Eventually I landed a job because of my agency contacts, I landed a job uh, brand side working for Walgreens.com in about 2012, 2013. My career really took off from there, working on the client side, the brand side. Everything from search engine marketing, social media marketing, programmatic display for pretty large retailer. Went on to work for Sears, Sears.com, which was, can have another hour talking about that experience. I worked for a small startup in Chicago that went through $40 million. That's another fun story. And then eventually landed working for a Walmart e-commerce Sam Club in the San Bruno, San Francisco Bay Area. So I did all the... For my first three years there, I worked for Walmart for about six years. For my first three years, I was doing product marketing. So anything membership subscription related, digital activation, that was my strategy, my channels. And then the last three years I was there, our performance guy left, our VP of performance marketing, the person that was responsible for the, all the search engine marketing, demand gen, traffic to the site, all that fun stuff. He left. And then I rose my hand and said, I guess I could do it. And they gave me the job. So I ran performance marketing for samsclub.com for about three years. And then found myself here at this fun, small startup called Alembic. We do a marketing intelligence. So we ingest all your marketing data from Google Analytics, Adobe, social media, podcast, TV, radio, you name it. We're able to ingest that information, recreate a time series, create correlations to give you insights on that data. Pretty powerful piece of marketing tech. Pretty happy to be here. I've seen this thing start in stealth since 2018, grow over time, finally get product market fit in the last year. And I asked, hey, you guys need any marketing help? They're like, yeah, actually, good timing. Come on board. I'm like, let's go. This is the second time I've done B2B SaaS. Um, let's see how this, this goes. So I'm happy, uh, happy to be on the train. I love it. That's such an awesome journey. And it sounds like so much fun. So You've been in B2C, some of the e-commerce stuff and all that, and now you're in B2B. What have you learned from doing B2C that maybe is applicable to B2B right now? Don't stay within your comfort zone, I think is the headline that I could use. B2C, especially with the budgets, I've been blessed. I work for a Fortune 1 company, have huge marketing budgets. And also in the past, working for various agencies, have pretty decent-sized media budgets as well. I have the innate ability to test a lot of different things. You still have to have like the core stuff working, search engine marketing, affiliate display. But at the same time, I'm given budget that I can 
go off those beaten paths. For example, in my last role at Walmart, um, I was the first marketer to test Yelp ads. They've never tested Yelp ads in, in the past. They always thought of it as like, there wasn't any incrementality. Like, why would we want to advertise the location of a Sam's Club to the nearest person? That doesn't make any sense. And at the same time, in my head, and through a lot of anecdotal talking to customers, looking through the website data, that a lot of people were coming to the site through tire searches. It's the most random thing in the world. Nobody really understood why people were coming to the site, but you could get your tires changed at a Sam's Club, similar to Costco, right? You can get your, your tires rotated, get a new battery and buy cheap tires from, from Costco. Sam's Club offers a very similar service to that, very cheap tires. And a lot of people start their journey looking uh, for tires on the website first. They don't necessarily go to the store and say, hey, I need you know, 18 inch, whatever by 22, they're going to do all the research online first through my data, my data digging, I was able to basically figure out, okay, they're starting, they're starting to figure out like, where can they find cheap tires? And I thought the perfect test for that is Yelp. Yelp is a service finding system, right? They're looking for best restaurant, furniture store near me, all that fun stuff. And through Yelp ads and working with that Yelp team, I had a special deal with them too, but that's another thing I'll talk about later. But I was able to basically do a lot of non-brand search through Yelp. So if somebody was looking for a tire replacement person near me, we would show up first. And the tire merchant was like, where is all this extra traffic coming from? I don't have enough tires. Whatever you're doing, please stop. So that to me is like taking that, that B2C idea of you never know what's going to work un unless you try. And trying and applying that to B2B, I know even in my past experience with B2B, we would always think like personas, right? It's always, we're only going to target this clientele. You never know who's actually going to convert unless you open up the web a little bit to see who actually does convert. I'll give you a good example. When I was working at Bellycard, which was a SaaS loyalty platform for small businesses, as the executive group or marketing group. We thought the people that own these small businesses, we had certain biases that like how they thought and like how they would receive marketing materials. But from the data that I could see, I put a system called Quantcast. It's a display programmatic program. They're actually based in SF. They're very smart people that run that run that group. And they have the capability of creating like really deep demographic information based on the visitation of your website. And I found out a lot of the people that were visiting our small, medium-sized business SaaS platform, they all are very well-educated, like master's degrees, PhDs, like all these people that are really smart, either coming from other countries and starting a new business in America, you know, they don't have that same capability of becoming a doctor again. So they're going to start a coffee shop they're gonna, or they're going to start a, like a 7-Eleven franchise or something like that. They're very entrepreneurial. So that was the way I was able to target these folks is they're looking through, they're reading some pretty heavy material of entrepreneurship, counting, all this fun stuff. We as the executive team didn't think that at all. So we started targeting those types of circulations, those types of websites, the ink.coms, publishers or whatever. And we really started to see leads and also the pilots increase twofold and also decreasing our cost per acquired customer as well. Getting out of the shell of B2B and thinking like a B2C person is that you don't ever know who's going to convert. And I don't think you should shoehorn yourself into one persona. It's got to make this amount of income. It's got to have this education. His name needs to be John and the last name needs to be Doe. And that's all who we're going to sell to. That's not necessarily true. And I think that type of thinking, I think, is it's definitely old-fashioned. 
I love that. I think one of the things you mentioned that in B2C, you try a lot of things, you try experiments, you see if they work. How do you know if you've tried something for long enough or if you need to pivot or if you need to conclude that it didn't work? How do you make that judgment call? I feel like a lot of times, a lot of B2C, it's both. It's just all marketers. We try so many different things and we wish, right? It's again, we're putting these biases, like if we're doing so many different things, one of them's got to work. If it's just this one thing, we do an A-B test and the B is so much different than A, then B has got to work, right? But sometimes it doesn't necessarily work out the way you want it to. Obviously, there's statistical significance. There's ways to get enough visits on a particular test to determine that. But a lot of times if the results are coming up zero, like you're not making any money or you're not generating leads, then whatever tactic that you're using for that probably should just cut bait, just cut back, just take your losses, get some learnings from that too. Like share, share that with your team. Hey, this test didn't work. Here's a hypothetical why. At least it should give you an iteration of for the next test. I think something like this might work if we just tweak something. It shouldn't ever be, we're just going to stop what we're doing. If I just stop with Yelp, if I thought the tire thing just didn't work out and I just stopped there, I wouldn't have ever known that there's a huge furniture business that Yelp does. I wouldn't have never known that a lot of people go to Yelp for gas prices, for example. Yeah, there's like the Gas Buddy apps of the world or whatever, all these other user-generated aggregation systems. But a lot of people go to Yelp to look for gas stations, which is strange. But like you would have never known if you just like just stopped at that one thing and gone to those two other different branches, for example. That's my two cents. Yeah, I love that. Let's talk about generating demand and actually finding business at scale and all this. I think everyone right now is thinking about this the last quarter of the year. At the start of next year, every marketer is basically has a huge goal for pipeline. And what's the process that marketers should be thinking about going about doing this when it comes to B2B, especially B2B startups, tech, SaaS, all that stuff? I think it's a couple different things. One is and this is a B2C thing too, is like speed to market. I'll give you a good example. Apple announces their, basically their version of a demand side platform, right? Their version of a, an advertising platform. They've done this in the past, in the very early 2010s called Biad. This is their new iteration. This also is along the roads of, they've got ATT, whatever the privacy thing, but they're basically consolidating an advertising platform within Apple. So that's a very topical piece of information. So our company is in the marketing business and our system is cookie-less. So that's a very topical thing to talk about. Either I can get my team to create some content around that from an Olympic standpoint, me personally, which I did very simple, like a LinkedIn blog post and not super long, a very, I guess, almost comedic or cynical in terms of an article of how Apple is doing a 180 on, Hey, we're trying to protect people's privacy, but at the same time, we're trying to show people ads seems seems strange. So that's a very topical thing. So that's speed of market, right? So this is how it's a relevant topic. It's something that you can have a conversation about, not only with your prospect clients, but also like within your LinkedIn network as well. And I wrote something about that. And then I also published something on Olympic.com that was about attribution. So there's some other stuff about privacy there as well. And we got a few hits basically on that contact of mine with, within my LinkedIn network saw my post on my personal LinkedIn and then also followed through and looked at the attribution post 
on olympic.com is just, hey, like this actually sounds like something that we're trying to work on ourselves, but we'd rather rely software. Let's talk. Oh, okay. Let me get in contact with my sales team. So imagine that times a hundred, right? That will solve a lot of people's, I guess, issues or tribulations about, I don't have enough in pipe. It's a matter of finding things that are topical to talk about that are relevant to somebody's like business need. It's supply. There's so many different things that you can talk about from supply chain, telecommunications, even what we're doing right now, right? Like I'm thinking about podcast marketing. You guys hit me up and said, Hey, we'd love to do a podcast with you. Oh, that kind of makes sense. Right. There are all these, there's, there shouldn't be any boundary to, I don't know what to talk about, or I don't know how to create demand. That, that should never be like, if you're thinking about, I don't know how to create demand, then maybe you shouldn't be in demand generation is probably the final sentence I'll use for that. I think one of the things that comes up is where do you start? Because there's so many different, I've seen companies that are out cold calling people, that it's all inbound and SEO, it's LinkedIn messages or cold emails or just buying up a bunch of ads on different platforms. Do you have any thoughts on how to pick one to start with as you're building this demand engine or do you just run around and try to do all of it as quick as possible? There's a finite amount of time, a finite amount of energy, right? Anybody can do 80 million different things, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, cold email, whatever. But if you don't take the time to do quality, everything's going to fail. You're going to be surprised. Okay, nothing works. You spent five minutes creating a Google ad. You spent five minutes creating a LinkedIn ad. Of course, like nothing worked. Stick to what you know. For what we do and what we know is we have a criteria of who we want to target, Fortune 500 plus or Fortune 500 and down, director and above, right? There's no secret sauce there. The company has to make $500 million or more and they have to be interested in buying some type of marketing technology, right? We're not necessarily using intent data. I know there's a lot of people out there that are trying to use intent data to, to do cold lead generation or whatever. We don't do that. I feel like <laughs> if my demand gen guy listens to this, he's going to yell at me, but we use a shotgun effect. We just like mess blast. There's no ABM and there's no account based marketing at all. We just blast the whole, whoever has a at sap.com email or whatever, the 10 minutes out of your day, love to talk to you. And then obviously we give an incentive to that person to talk to us, right? I feel like there's a lot of different B2B companies that aren't willing to give that up. They might be willing to give up maybe some demo time or uh, you know seven-day pilot, 30-day pilot, or, or year pilot or whatever. But some people, they wouldn't want to give you any incentive to talk to them. We do. We feel so strongly uh, in our platform. If we can just get 10 minutes in front of you and demo the platform to you, we think we can get you through the pipe. So it's a very powerful, and basically our biggest tactic right now is cold email. It seems old school. I love it though. I feel like sometimes there's so much analysis paralysis of we got to have this really complicated strategy and use intent data. We have to know all these details. and Just it's even because I've been on the buy side for so long too. Yeah. If the cold email is at least catchy enough or there's some iota of thought put into it, they use my name correctly. Hey, James, instead of, hey, whatever, insert name here. Some type of relevancy or contextuality. They actually took some time to look through my LinkedIn or figure out what my company actually did. I will give that person the benefit of the doubt because I've been on both sides. I've been on the sell side. I've been on the buy side. I will give that person a 30 second read. If it's something that's interested in me, oh, this is a product 
that might help me. Like for me, it's not about the money. It's more of, can this help my team from a productivity standpoint, the more hours less for me, it means I can contribute a lot more to my current company. I'm more than willing to buy, right? Be the perfect prospect. But if it's something that's not super relevant to me, then, you know, you're never going to hear from me again. So that to me is like how I put myself in the shoes of how we do the prospecting is we know you're busy, but if you just give us 10 minutes, we'll give you an incentive for those 10 minutes. At least we'll be able to wow you. If we don't able to wow you, sorry. Absolutely. So I'm really curious about any sort of data that you can share in terms of benchmarks. And I know you probably can't give specifics and all this, but just a general ballpark of where you might want to be and what success might look like for others out there listening. So we have a very specific clientele that we're shooting for. So the amount of email that we do might not seem very significant for somebody that's got like a $10 a month SaaS platform. We're much, much bigger than that. We're looking for whales. And the amount of emails that we send out is anywhere between thousands and thousands range. It's not in the millions of range like some other B2B companies are doing. It seems in scale very small. And then when it comes to like email open rates, again, it's very small, but it's not a bad thing. I want that email open rate not to be so big because maybe somebody is unqualified. I'd rather have somebody open email and self-select themselves as a prospect, get a confirmed meeting with them, and then eventually get a pie with them. You know, our, I can say that, you know, if we can get them in the pipe, uh, get a demo in front of them, uh, and then eventually close them, that rate is extremely high. I'm very proud of that. Our team does an amazing job at doing that. Of course, finding people similar to that person is very, very hard, right? And there's some technical issues and of course, like money issues. I can't send out millions and millions of emails. They could possibly go to spam. And then too, we might not be targeting the right people and then also just wasting a ton of money, right? There's finite time, money, and resources. We have to be very strategic about what we do here. Absolutely. One of the things you mentioned as we're wrapping up here is incentive to reply and all this. Uh, what does a good incentive strategy look like? And maybe what's an example of incentive that you know, doesn't even necessarily have to be the one you're offering, but others that you've seen on the buy side and all this? Zero incentive is not great. Having an incentive versus zero incentive can completely change your business. From my time here, a very short time, we didn't offer incentive and the pipe was not looking great. Uh, there wasn't any incentive at all offered to prospects. Uh, so we would never really get any back. Our AR wasn't great. Then we started offering incentive to, to talk to us. And then obviously people love free stuff. So that increased greatly. Obviously can be abused, right? There's some people that receive incentive and then meet with us one time and then blow us off or whatever, which is fine. That's okay. But I feel like in my B2C experience when I was doing affiliate marketing, having at least some type of cash back in the market was better than not having anything at all. Yeah, there were people that would organically just come to the site and shop, but if they didn't see that like little honey button or the whatever, the Rakuten rewards button display some type of cash back, they weren't going to shop with us. Now there's a lot of arguments on incrementality. Hey, wouldn't you have you gotten that sale anyways if you didn't offer that incentive? Oh, sure. But, you know, everything in hindsight, right? But again, like you should pulse. It shouldn't be forever. Maybe you offer an incentive in certain seasons. Maybe you don't offer incentive. Who knows? Or, or you change it, right? The 
for us, we're willing to give away way, way more than just the small incentive that we have just to book a client. There have definitely been discussions about all kinds of crazy stuff, but it's whatever you're willing to do, whatever's within reason, right? Everybody has margin. Everybody has a bottom line. You don't want to give away completely the whole farm, but at least if you can get somebody through the door with incentive and get them talking to you and you feel confident enough in the product that you're selling, then it's all going to work out. If you don't feel confident in the product you're selling, then maybe incentive's not a good idea for you. Maybe you should stay away from it. Absolutely. I think it's good to mention though, because I, I receive a lot of emails that are take, they want something from you and it's not a, it's not a give. So I think giving is very important. And I spoke to someone last week, he said that part of their strategy is just with the select few buyers of the Fortune 100 folks, they offer everyone a spot on their yacht and off and, and sailing on a, a yacht trip out in the Caribbean and all that. So that's a, yeah. Very unique. Probably one of the most extreme examples I've heard of. Oh boy. That's unique. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, like I think it was even overnight and everything and go sailing and all this. And it sounds like fun. I, I think um, you told me of a example of maybe a little bit of a, a scaled version of that in terms of a dinner. Maybe, I don't know if you'd be willing to share that story, but. Oh Yeah. I love this story. So this company was called Conductor. The head of sales actually is my upstairs neighbor, funny enough. They offer basically it's a hybrid like SaaS model, service and software model, all-inclusive SEO system. Not only like SEO intelligence, but they also do active SEO stuff too. Like they'll make changes to the website on the fly, which is, I guess, pretty cool. And at the time we were looking for some type of SEO tool, right? We were using a semi-free system called SEMrush. I was using another system called Bright Edge, Bright Edge Local. And then I had a consulting company. I was kind of all over the place. And I felt like, okay, even if I hired a company for $200,000, $300,000 a year, um, sure, expensive for some people, but it's just such a huge time sink to deal with five other different people and have to create all these different reports to do SEO for the site. Why not just consolidate with one company? And then Conductor, that's how they got to me. They're talking about their platform. And they said, hey, please, it would be great if you came to this dinner. There's no strings attached. You don't have to buy anything there. It's just, just it's like dinner for two hours and then presentation for 45 minutes. I think you can handle it. I'm like, where's the dinner at? And they're like, oh, it's at a Michelin three-star restaurant in San Francisco. I'm like, count me in. I'm a foodie. Yes. The cool thing was whoever their event coordinator or like event planning people and also with their sales team, they did a really good job of not only putting like salespeople with you, but also like current clients and current client, basically account management people. So you could overhear them like talking about the platform, like actively, like they're actively using the platform and you're overhearing these conversations like, oh, okay, this is legit. The people are really using it and getting, they're getting value out of it. And I'm here just to see what they did at the dinner was product updates. Hey, we're rolling out these new features. We'd love for you to be there kind of thing. And for me, I was like so close. That dinner was amazing. The product updates were amazing too. Listening to all the clientele talk about some of their problems with the platform and how they're being addressed and all that fun stuff was a really cool eye-opening thing. I have never seen a company do a pitch like that before, like with current customers. You have to have so much confidence in your product that you're willing to have your sales team, your account team, current customers openly talk about the platform. Like I, I feel like any other like, software company or SaaS company would have never done that. Like they would have com completely isolated 
current clients from prospect clients, right? They would have never let them co-mingle. They could say something bad about, oh, this thing doesn't freaking work. Like, why, why did we waste our money on that? But it was all good. And so the reason why I guess I didn't convert fully was it was really expensive. They wanted some ungodly amount of money for me to do it. And unfortunately, uh, I didn't have the budget allocated to do that. And there were some technical issues that I had with them. So I, we had to see them off to the sunset. But that, that to me was probably one of the best semi-cold or lukewarm pitches I've ever been in. It's just, again, like it's the thought, right? Super well thought through. They knew I was a big foodie. They knew that they were going to have like very, some very technical clientele there. I could ask some questions, current account management people there. I could, and also salespeople there too. Really good experience. Uh, but unfortunately it didn't work out. They didn't, I didn't buy from them. Yeah. That's more of product though. It sounds like their demand team nailed it. They got you to the table. You're considering it. Yeah. It's really just pricing and product at that point. The demand nailed it. Yeah, I think whoever let them down was procurement, either because my, when I used to work for Walmart, when you get to that point of procurement, you're done. The company has its own procurement team and they negotiate and you have nothing because it takes my bias out of it. Oh, I really need this tool. I'm willing to pay a million dollars for it, whatever. But when you take that bias out, you get down to, okay, how much does this actually cost comparatively to the marketplace? Comparatively, the marketplace are very expensive. It, it, It didn't go through, but yeah. Interesting approach. So for others out there thinking about their demand engine and driving pipeline, any last final thoughts, words of advice, things you're thinking? I would say it doesn't have to be a Michelin three-star dinner to get in front of somebody. It's the little things. I think it's the age old thing of get them on the phone. There's at the same time, how millennials are, it's a generational thing. Don't text me kind of thing or don't call me kind of thing. But If you're able to at least talk to somebody like what we're doing right now, at least face-to-face and see somebody's emotion, from a sales standpoint, you can pre-qualify them or unqualify them right on the spot. Is this person actually interested in our product or is he just docking my chain to get some free stuff for me? I think a lot of, we're too reliant on Excel spreadsheets dictating who we should talk to. It should be hey, here's a list of people that we should talk to. Just go talk to them. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be in that order. I can go out and do like a LinkedIn meetup and prospect that way. That's how I've brought in a few different clients. Knock on wood, they actually convert. When it really comes down to it, it never hurts to ask. I've always used this like in any leadership training, management team, sales team, whatever, it never hurts to ask. If you don't ask, you will never know. Hey, do you actually need the software? Okay, you don't? Fine by me. I'm going to go take my time somewhere else. Oh, you do? Hey, let's talk. Let's get coffee. Let's grab a beer. Whatever. You want some cookies? I'll send you some cookies. Whatever whatever you want, right? So, Absolutely. On that note, thank you so much for joining, James, and sharing all your wisdom. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Brad.